0: request be seated this time We're about one minute. thank you i love the feeling of gliding through the sky the way a duck sails through a serene pond the calm metal bird begins to make a rough landing i brace myself And if I had the ability to look around, I would see a flight filled with tense passengers, white knuckles bracing their armrests or pushing up against the seat in front of them. Once we land, some of us clap. And the plane begins to glide around the tarmac like a shark. I hear one impatient clicking of a seatbelt to my right. The captain asks everyone to remain in their
1: seats.
0: We wait. We turn our phones off from airplane mode, and a million text messages are received. Our collective serotonin spikes for a second. We get messages from our loved ones. Or none at all. People begin to text furiously, like gulping for water after walking through a desert for days, like they can't get their thoughts out fast enough. Then the captain finally says that we can start getting off. A chorus of seatbelts unbuckles, and everyone begins to gun for their belongings. I wait. I'm in no rush. I eventually lug my backpack on for the last time and walk through the jet bridge. There's a small gap between it and the airplane. And before I go outside, I inhale America. Smells like freedom. This passing whiff clues me in that I've made it back. A childhood memory gets irritated because I'm in my homeland. As I walk through JFK, I start to get a tingling feeling. Everything is familiar. I can understand what the security guards are saying to each other. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. My brain tweaks out for a moment because it's the first time I feel like I've been comfortable in months. Even though I'm still carrying my home on my back, I feel a metaphorical weight lift off my shoulders. It's a relief. I know how things work here. This is my place. I walk myself over to the customs line and people with thick Brooklyn accents rush us along. Next person, you got your passport? Wait, don't get in that line, hurry up already. The warmest of greetings. The fact that I can understand the language being spoken to me is oddly comforting. My brain isn't used to it. I can read the directions and labels again and understand the announcements on the loudspeaker. And as I walk to arrivals, my backpack feels heavy I'm ready to land it as well. Then in a swarm of people, I see my family. We run up to each other and hug and dance and take a step back just to look at each other. It feels like when we parted, it's bittersweet because as a traveler, I'm in a constant cycle of leaving someone or someplace. And we go through the script of, how was your flight? Did you watch any good movies? While we dance around the elephant in the room, My family is like many American families in that they don't travel internationally. So they don't really know what to ask. And my answers wouldn't really convey what I just went through. I end up summarizing months of travel, hopping through different countries, conversations with countless people, fascinating histories, and facts into three simple words. It was cool. What more can I say? There isn't a touchstone for how much I've grown internally. We don't have a word for it in English or any language that I know of to explain the evolution that comes from traveling. So I end up avoiding the question altogether and ask what mischief my grandmother's gotten in herself recently at the nursing home. We head to a diner off the Taconic State Parkway. There's no frenzy of emotions on this ride. Just a nice catch-up of all the small-town drama I missed while I was away. It's amazing how some places feel like they never change, no matter how long you're gone for. When we sit in the diner, I ask the waitress for a side of olive oil to dip my bread in. You aren't in Italy, one of my sisters says. If I dared said gyro like euro or croissant like croissant in its original accent, My family would bury me behind the diner and head back home without me. Instead of picking a fight, I pick myself up and go to the bathroom. I get into a stall. I begin to put my purse down on the farthest corner from the table until I realize that there's a coat hanger in the stall. Oh, thank God, (laughs) I totally missed you the most. I don't understand why these aren't in every bathroom stall in the world, but it's fine. And I pee in peace. We drive along the bucolic hills of the Hudson Valley. I know we're close once I see the silhouette of the Catskills to my left, the soft curves of stone smoothed over by glaciers thousands of years ago. Then we arrive, a comfortable two-story blue home with a purple door nestled in the woods. Ornamental grape leaves hang over the entrance and a giant pine tree shades the left side of my house. I don't notice their changes because their growth is nuanced. But since I've been gone, leaves have died and new ones have started to grow. Maybe that's how my family sees me. I look the same because my changes are subtle. I've sprouted new parts of myself that only I notice. And I push open my kitchen door and throw my bag on the ground. My corgi rushes up to me and barks in an accusatory manner of, where the fuck have you been this whole time? She smells the world all over me, putting together where I've been without me having to tell her. Then I look I look around my home. It feels smaller, even though it hasn't changed at all. Even the cup of water I half drank and put down before sprinting out the door is still hidden behind a plant. When I come home, I often feel like Alice when she's in Wonderland and bites into a cookie. She ends up growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Her arms push through the windows and her head takes off the roof of the building, wearing it like a hard hat. Is home smaller now? Or maybe I just take up more space. It's so weird to be in a place that I've pined for. I also feel really sad that I'm here. And one of my family members might say something that just fucking gets under my skin. And that Adrian that I've evolved into, the one who's mindful and patient and intentional, regresses back into that temperamental teen, the one that I used to be. Don't lose traveling, Adrian. Don't let the traps that lay around the house ensnare you don't forget her and all that she learned. I walk around my house and ugh, everything that is familiar feels foreign now. Because I haven't felt anything familiar in such a long time. It's, I'm, it's, I'm perplexed. <laughs> At this point, I'm so comfortable being uncomfortable that I've forgotten what it feels like to be comfortable. I walk into my room, which feels like a time capsule. And I take a heavy sigh and my mom knocks on the door. And she hands me a bag of candy. I saved you a bag of the robin's eggs from Easter, which is my favorite candy. It only comes out during Easter time. And I had missed Easter altogether. I totally forgotten about how much I loved these. I hug her. It feels so good to be seen by someone who knows my history. Someone I don't have to explain myself to and has preserved random pieces of myself that I might have forgotten about. I rip open the bag and pop one in my mouth. The candy and I melt together. I'm home. Today on the episode, we go home. We decompress from all that we saw and finally unpack our bag. We go through all the souvenirs, the changes, and lifestyles we picked up along the way. We will talk to travelers who find home in strange places, whose understanding of home has shifted, and they take what they've learned from the world to try to make home better. I'm Adrian Bain, and this is Strangers Abroad. Here we go. One of the main reasons we settle down is because of work. We find a good job with a reasonable commute and fill our apartments up with IKEA furniture. Work typically tethers us to one spot. But with the advent of the internet, people are starting to see how flexible their work lives can be. We have the ability to work from wherever in the world. All you need is a universal charger, strong Wi-Fi, and in some places, a stronger stomach. These days, everyone and their mother seems to be interested in becoming location-independent. Jeremy Enns, a creator of a podcasting production company, has been testing out what it's like to be untied to a home. For the past few years, he's been able to pick up and leave based on a good flight deal. The idea of being location-independent always tickled him. He loved traveling, and he researched how to incorporate this lifestyle into growing his podcast production company. Once he quit his location-dependent job and made enough on his own business, he bought a ticket and left Vancouver two weeks later. What a wild life he was living. He went overseas for nine months, and during that time of packing and working and packing and working, he realized that travel might not have been the driving force.
2: So I realized pretty quickly, like this was amazing, and I had a, a great experience traveling. But I realized over the course of that I, like I loved the freedom to travel, but it, traveling wasn't like actually the biggest thing for me, that it was more the independence of autonomy over my work and time and all that kind of stuff, and that the travel was a nice side effect that I like really care about, but I would be more happy in one place, but having you know working for myself and having that than working for someone else and being able to travel like the more important things actually have that feeling of autonomy. And luckily I got both. So there've been a few kind of realizations there where I had like thought that travel was like this cure all thing that really there was other things. And like, I've, I've met so many people who feel like traveling full time is like the one thing for them and they do it, they try it out and it's just not. And so I think like, that's great. like, I think you need to experiment in a lot of those cases.
0: The farther he ventured, the more he realized he needed something more than travel to keep him inspired.
2: Start of this year where I had booked a trip just because it fell into my lap. I had lined up a, a house set in Portugal, which actually fell through, but I'd already booked the ticket. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going. And then I found this insane flight deal from London to Istanbul to Nairobi and back. And I didn't end up going to Nairobi, but I went to Istanbul, but it was kind of like because it was there and I as I was leaving I wasn't excited at all I was kind of like I'd rather actually just stay home and they were great experiences but they they were kind of like bittersweet experiences they were good but it was also like I realized that there was there was no intention behind the trip other than I, I could and I didn't there wasn't something I wanted to get out of it and you know I was there and present and experiencing it but it was not I feel like most other trips there's been a purpose behind my going or some like interest, something that I wanted to take away or something that I wanted to experience. And these ones were kind of just like, "Eh, well, whatever. I realized that kind of without the intention there, there was also negative aspects to both the trips. It It had an effect on them and made me rethink like where I'm deciding to go and why. There've been a couple short trips over the past five, six months, something like that, where we were in some place longer, but went on this like little mini excursion for two weeks or something and went to like, you know, a couple of two or three different places. And we were just like kind of musing on them and we we're like, huh, They're, like, it doesn't even feel like we've been there. I have to struggle to kind of remember what we did there, what the experience was. And it all kind of played into the like just slowing down and not just traveling for the sake of travel.
0: I think Jeremy brings to our attention that you actually can have too much of a good thing. Even if we get the perfect apartment, the dream life, the most compatible partner, you still have to work for it. When you finally get what you've been craving, you can't just brush your hands and say, I'm done. No maintenance needed. You still need to put in the effort to make something enjoyable. But that's not what Instagram shows us. I asked Jeremy what he thinks about the portrayal of the digital nomad life.
2: I think it's like really hip. I think it's glorified and made out to be a lot. I don't want to say better than it is, but a lot of the good side is shown and a lot of the bad side is not by like travel bloggers. And I feel like most people who I talk to who like I connect with are kind of like, yeah, I don't know why, like everybody wants to do this, but like, it's pretty shitty a lot of the time. It's easy to get into the mindset of like keeping up with the the Instagrammers who are like constantly posting amazing photos going around the world, and if you're not, you feel like a bad location-independent person or something. And I think, I, I think, and I think the travel thing because I followed a lot of travel people, and it always was like, oh, I want to go here, I want to go here, I want to go here. And I think there's something to of like that that encourages you in a subconscious way to not appreciate where you are and what you have. And so I feel like that was a not kind of taking that in all the time as much as it is inspiring and like beautiful and all those like positive things. There's also a, a negative kind of undercurrent to it that isn't like self, it doesn't serve yourself and your own desires and intentions
0: Instagram doesn't show you the mundane moments, the times where your bus was three hours late, or the other time where you got food poisoning. It doesn't document your loneliness or homesickness. It's just an onslaught of beautiful girls with long hair and sundresses walking on the Great Wall of China. We don't see their inner anguish. What's their smiling covering up? I asked Jeremy, what are the parts of travel... That many content creators choose to not document.
2: There's like varying levels of freedom and there are some ways that you can set up a lifestyle that give you all the freedom but probably it's not going to be immediate and if it is it probably won't last unless you like you need to put in some work at some point and I think understanding like what is what is most important to you like I said before will help you construct that lifestyle that actually feeds those things and serves those things but you have to actually know what they are first there's there's obviously different ways you can become location independent um, most of the people I know have all started businesses and so like most of us at, at least at times like this is something that I, I think I'm in the the stage of right now trying to work out of but like you're working like you know Eight to twelve hours a day you're not going outside seeing and then it's like so that was another thing in Brazil is that I got really burnt out multiple times because i i I literally worked every single day that I was there and on the second last day I took a half day off to go explore and it was just like i that's I had so much work and was not prepared for it and I think it was kind of fed by not being able to connect with people. There was like not a lot of reason to go out and that, and then in turn it fed the not being able to connect with people. Cause I had so much work to do and was so busy and was at home working. And so I think there's like people, I, I, this is something probably that, that I've heard the most is that people just don't realize if you want to make it sustainable, like how much work you have to do. Like it is, it's like starting a business anywhere that, you know, there's just going to be a ton of upfront work and, really the, the time and like what you're doing, what your day-to-day life looks like is there's a, a disconnect between the reality, at least in my experience, and you know, what a lot of people kind of think at the start. Outside of the work and time thing difficulties, the the people's probably the biggest one. Like I was in Brazil in a really small town for two months last year and people didn't even know how to say hello in English. Like there was zero English spoken and you know, I tried learning as much portuguese as i could i studied for a few months before going and could get like i could get through but you're not having deep conversations with anybody and i think that's one of the things traveling that you meet a lot of people which is great but you rarely get into like you'll you'll get into like you know deep conversations that are one-offs but it's not the same as like talking about deep things with a friend you've had for 10 years or 20 years or whatever, and to have that intimate knowledge of each other's lives and problems and where they're at and where they've been and how that shapes what they're going through right now. I think for me, part of that having a home base and wanting to be somewhere is to be able to still dedicate time to that side of my life because I feel like that gets lost. And I would say most of my friendships from back home have deteriorated to different extents since I've been traveling. I really think there's not a way to have it all, all the time. Like, I think for me, part of that reason of wanting to have a home base is to be able to dedicate time to do certain things in certain places. This is something I'm realizing too. uh, I was just back in Vancouver. Maybe that it's important to be intentional about structuring that life of being in certain places at certain times of year, if that's like, you know, refuels you kind of.
0: It's easy to get fatigued when we're constantly backpacking. Seeing Victoria Falls can be anticlimactic if you've been backpacking for six months. It's easy to get novelty effect. We're tired. Our brains get fatigued because we're constantly restarting, never slowing down, and always on to the next thing. The novelty is worn off because the world is suddenly accessible. Extremely accessible. And some of the mystery is gone.
2: Generally, this is something I find very strange about myself is that I often I don't really have those moments. Like often I'll be like traveling and it'll be like two or three months in before I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like I don't get excited around leaving. I don't get excited arriving places. It's just all kind of even keel. And then I'll have moments where it's like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. And I I do have like a lot of those moments now, but they're not like. I wouldn't say like peak experiences maybe. And it, the interesting thing there too is fairly routinely, like, you know, at least once a week have like just moments of where the gratitude kind of hits me of like, man, this is so cool to be able to do this. And often it's around, it's most often around pl- starting to plan trips, but that's again, trips that I'm excited about. Like I didn't really have that when I was planning the Portugal and Istanbul one, but other ones where it's, it's, It's often when I'm like looking up flights and it's just like, how cool is this? That like, just whatever like time of year it is, it's not like a holiday or something. It's not like a special occasion. It's just like, oh, I'm just like looking up flights. And I feel like especially with planning with people is when I really get excited. I think it is easy to take it for granted. I feel like I have enough moments of that kind of gratitude that that's not where I'm at. I think a lot of people have some aversion to going home or like once you, once you are a digital nomad, it's like not utilizing it or something or like, why would you go home? You have this freedom to, to travel. And it's like, well, actually home is one of my favorite places. Like I, I love being there and I would happily be there all the time.
0: I think that Jeremy made a good point that you feel bad that you have this opportunity to travel. So you should probably take it every chance you get. But the more we travel the more we see what we actually want out of life. And sometimes that's behind a white picket fence.
2: In a way, like I do have an itch for a mortgage. And I think after two years, like I am really, really, really looking forward to owning a house. And like, I still want to travel a lot, but I want to have that place where I know is home and that I can go back to anytime. And I feel that travel will be so much better having that and I always want to travel, but I think it's more the, I find it hard to do like big thinking. There's so much about traveling that's like absorbing and taking, and it's hard to get into the mindset sometimes of like putting, taking those ideas and letting them just digest and then coming up with new ideas and especially on a bigger scale like I I feel I can you know do the day-to-day of work or whatever and be creative here but I feel like it's not to the same level not quite the big picture thinking of when you're at home and everything else is stable and there is no new input coming in and you can be very controlled in that and it's more about creating a space for you that like facilitates whatever you're trying to do.
0: This glorification of location independence doesn't match up with reality. Sure, it'd be amazing to hopscotch from Delhi to Paris to Tokyo whenever we felt like it. But many of us don't calculate the logistics of it all. We daydream into a Pinterest board as we sit at our desks and shuffle paperwork. But the reality is that it's exhausting, it's confusing, and lonely. And leaving behind all that you've built at home for someplace else better be worth it because it takes a long time to adjust. When you move to a new city, you're treading water longer than you would like. But some places are worth the challenge because the homes we're born into don't always give us everything we need. Certain places help us expand into our fullest potential. That's why Georgia Clark left Sydney. Georgia is a writer and live storyteller. She's written several books, like her most recent one, The Bucket List, and has created an amazing storytelling show in New York City called Generation Women. But her wildest ambitions might have not come to fruition if she stayed in her home city.
3: I mean, the thing about having a hometown like Sydney, and anyone who has a hometown like LA or anywhere it's it's lovely I mean it's not a small town that's terrible and everyone sucks like (laughs) you know that is not the case at all Sydney is a beautiful city it's a world-class city and it's clean it's stunning the beaches are amazing the food is fantastic I mean you know I can go on about how amazing Sydney is so in so many ways I definitely would have had a good life there there's no doubt about that but I I don't think I would have been as happy as I am now because I was really pretty unhappy when I left. I just had this sense that my life hadn't started and there was more out there. And I didn't really know what that was, but I just I remember I had this distinct feeling when I was about 28 of feeling like My life hasn't started yet, my life hasn't started yet, but then realizing that it has and this is it, because I'm 28. I mean, I think you can think my life hasn't started when you're 19 or 16 or even 22, but by the time you're kind of 28, it's like, well, this this is it, this is your life, you know, this is what you're doing. So if you don't like it, make a change.
0: You know when home is getting too comfortable. Sure, the beds that we've slept in our whole lives are cozy, but if we stay in them too long, we get sores. We need to move in order to stay strong and to grow. As a writer, Georgia knows that we have to go through several drafts until we have a real masterpiece. But sometimes that means scrapping everything and starting from scratch. So Georgia left. She crossed her fingers and hoped that the day's worth of travel to America would be worth the lifelong opportunities.
3: Well, I didn't know anyone when I moved here. I didn't have a visa. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a plan much beyond starting a writing project. So a lot of the adjustments were going from a life that was pretty set out for me. I was a freelancer in Australia, but I had a lot of contacts. I had a lot of friends. I'd lived in the city my whole life. I I was really bored of Sydney when when I left, and I... Definitely felt like my life hadn't started yet. I was really in the constrictions of the smallness of of the city and of the country. And so a lot of the adjustments I had to make were just being a fish out of water and not just having to reestablish myself in every sense of the word, but just to work out basic things like I have to get a credit card and open a bank account and buy a mattress and Work out where to live, and you know, the list goes on and on. So, those adjustments were definitely a lot. I had to learn how to deal with a New York winter. I wasn't really prepared for that either. The weather in Sydney is more like LA. It was an adjustment being so far away from my family. I mean, I wasn't learning a new language, it was still very different <laughs> to, to Sydney.
0: Sydney wasn't challenging Georgia the way that she needed, but New York delivered.
3: Just the physical act of moving to a different city is extremely challenging. When I, when I first moved to New York, I was on high alert all the time, just because there were so many people. I was so unused to being with so many crowds. And I used to have like a panicky reaction every time I got the subway. I remember I would clench my fists in my pockets as a way to manage the stress of being in Union Square. Like I was just so having to handle being around so many people I was always getting lost I had a compass to try and work out where I was even though the city is a grid like I and now I'm like I've I know where I'm going I on instinct that I didn't need to check and definitely the the career opportunities the creative opportunities that have come up have been more challenging as well being able to you know work with and collaborate with other incredible creatives not all of them like Americans you know New York City is a melting pot. There's a lot of different people here, and that's really fun as well and really interesting. I was I I had a diverse group of friends and and a community in in Sydney, but I would say my community is probably more diverse.
0: But Georgia has stepped into the person she has yearned to be,
3: a more creative and confident self. I'm a lot more confident talking about myself and my work. We are not as comfortable getting up on front of a stage and telling our stories in a way that Americans are. I really noticed when I came to America that people are just so much more comfortable performing. Like, And I know I'm in New York and this is a town of performers, but I started to do improv when I moved here. And I was put onto an indie team a couple of months after starting and all the other improvisers were just so excited to get up and start performing and do shows and be doing like shows for paying audiences and stuff like that. And I was just so out of my comfort zone and no Australian would would generally want to do that. We have this thing called the Torpoppy syndrome, which is the tall poppy syndrome is uniquely Australian. And that is something where we cut down people who we see as being too big for their britches, like who are kind of showing off, quote unquote by essentially telling the world what they want and sharing their talent as far as I can tell so it's hard to become successful in Australia there's a way in which you have to become successful in Australia that navigates this default syndrome of if you are getting up and telling people how amazing you are and how great you are through whatever you know whether you want to be a comedian or a performer or like an artist or whatever even an entrepreneur you have to really manage this of like oh have got tickets on yourself mate like oh what do you think you're do you think you're better than us kind of thing or oh this person's just like going on about how great they are and which you kind of have to do if you want to make a career as an artist and I was always someone who was trying to get things off the ground in Sydney I was always the one who was like trying to put on a show or organize some sort of Photo shoot for this other project that I was working on. I was always, like, ambitious and doing things, but I was somewhat naive about how to get things off the ground and create things, and I was also sort of battling a little bit of disin- sort of general cultural disinterest in that sort of degree. Like, people... Would generally open, and I sort of found my tribe of people that were excited about doing things, making things happen, making art projects happen, whatever it was. But here it's totally different. I really, I remember when I started doing improv and forming a practice group. And I was, of course, I, you know, formed my first practice group and whatever. My kind of default mindset was like, I'll have to email everyone five times and, you know, to get them to confirm, you know, it'll just the usual troubles of getting everyone on the same page and to get everyone, to get a group of people to meet at a certain time to do something. And everyone was just in straight away and someone else took over the group. And everyone was just just as excited as me and just as ambitious as I was and it was like oh my god like I don't have to try as hard like people just want to do things here and that experience just sort of happens over and over again so I'm a novelist here now and have kind of built up my own platform as a writer and there is just people just don't question it as much or there's no pushback from people I've definitely found that it's It's easier. People are more open and susceptible to artists and creators and thinkers to do things. Like, if you have an event on a Monday night, you can sell it out, you know? Like, there's no... Whereas I think if that happens in other cities, it might be tough. On, like, on a rainy winter's Monday night, you know... In many other cities, you'd be like, well, good luck. No one's going to come out. And in New York, people will. They'll go out. They'll be at things. There's enough people here to support what you want to do.
0: Georgia has written a whole new life for herself, one she couldn't have had in Australia. But I can't help but think about that parallel universe where she didn't leave.
3: I asked her who she would have been if she stayed in Sydney. I probably would... I don't know if I'd be a working novelist because the, you know, your advances that you get, which sustain you, are estimations of your sales, essentially, and the audience in Sydney is just so tiny compared to America, and um, you know, there's like 300 million people here or whatever, and so like, and also a lot of foreign rights come from your American sale, whereas if... I was publishing in Australia to Australian audiences, I wouldn't have been getting as many foreign rights and there's sort of so on and so forth. And there's other opportunities that come out of being in America, like screen because LA is so close and and that sort of thing. Like I probably – I have a team now where I have a film and TV agent, a speaking agent, like a literary agent, a publicist. They're all based in America. I just wouldn't have that that kind of support um, in Australia. And ultimately – A lot of my storytelling style and the kind of stories I want to tell are very American in style. And the reason for that is we grow up being suckled on American pop culture because we don't make as much Australian content at home. The reason why so many Australian actors go to L.A. to work and so many Australians come to New York to live is... That's what we've grown up with. So, of course, we'd want to come participate in the pop culture that surrounds us when we're kids, you know. So, in many ways, my move to America is inevitable. But, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I definitely, my partner is American, so I wouldn't be with my girlfriend now. And I just wouldn't have had as many opportunities as I've, as I've had here. So I'm very grateful. It's hard to completely uproot
0: yourself, even if you decide to plant yourself somewhere else. The aspects of home will still linger within you.
3: So I asked her what it's like to return back to Australia. I, when I get back to Australia, I am reminded of of what it is to be Australian. And I love it. I love going, I mean, I love going back there. I always kind of feel more relaxed. I feel more jokey. Time kind of slows down a little bit. The ambition kind of just slightly fades in color. You don't have to be on your <laughs> wits the whole time about. But I do, I, you know, I, I, I love going back. I get my slang on, I call everyone mate. Like it's. When
0: Georgia goes back to Australia, she sees how New York has been within her all
3: along. Um, New York looms large in the consciousness of Australians. And I didn't realize how large it loomed until. I moved here and came back, and then I just noticed it's on people wear like New York Knicks t-shirts and caps. We have the New York skyline in bars. There's a lot of fetishization of New York. It really is the coolest of the cool, and that that is not unique to Sydney. Like that is how New York portrays itself around the world. But I guess I just didn't realize like how 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 large it loomed until I left. I mean, New York is a place that is as foreign and glamorous as the moon to Sydney's siders. I think that
0: no matter how far away we travel, home always lingers inside of us. Georgia's accent, her slang, still reverberates within
3: her. So I asked her, where is home now? I mean, home to me is still Australia, especially when you're around other Australians. Like here, we talk about going home. Are you going home for Christmas and that kind of thing? So, when I say home, like I'm kind of talking about Sydney in general, but there's no one place. But my, my sense of home is really changing. Like, we are doing this podcast recording in my apartment here in, in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg. And this is definitely my home. I have lived in this apartment for coming up to three years. And I've lived in Williamsburg, Greenpoint neighborhood for the whole time I've been here. So there's a very strong sense of home here. So my sense of home is definitely straddled between the two countries And while it's pinpointed in New York, it's sort of like an amorphous general sense of like Sydney in general is home. But I mean, Australia is just changing so much. When I was growing up, it was like a cheap place to live. And you could kind of live on not much at all. But in the last sort of 15, 20 years, like it's sort of exploded. And real estate is nuts. And even just going out, for meals and for drinks and stuff, like it's cheaper in New York than Sydney. So and New York is obviously pretty expensive. So to give you a sense of how expensive Sydney is, that's how expensive it is. And that also complicates the nation of the notion of home because it's not this sort of thing that I'm like, well one day I'll just move back to Sydney and I'll get a great place in the city and we'll just have a great time. Like I can't actually afford to do that. You know, like I can't afford to move back to Sydney and live there. And it's, yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of insane.
0: Home didn't provide all of the answers that Georgia needed. It's good to go out and find what those missing pieces are. As we travel around the world, we can collect mindsets, lifestyles, and tools like a child picking up seashells on a beach. And if we choose to return home, we can take what we've collected to make our communities more robust and diverse in its thinking. We can apply new solutions to chronic problems. That's what Cassandra Bianco was in search of. After working and burning out in corporate New York, she needed a change. She couldn't keep living this way.
4: journey began because I moved to Sweden so after seven years of working in New York City I was unknowingly burnt out like many of us here I think it can come in many different ways so exhaustion often it's a problem with boundaries but um in my case I had taken on a job I was not a fit for at all and like it was your typical like 20 three-year-olds telling me what to do at a small tech startup and bragging about 4 a.m. calls, sales calls with India and and just sort of that toxic hustle culture that's finally no longer cool. But I was waking up in the middle of the night every single night, like 2, 3, or 4 a.m. in a panic. I was like, something's not right here. I'd worked in agencies, startups, tech, and was so badly wanting to go to Europe. This was just a dream of mine to, to work overseas I remember I heard an investor speak at an event that, you know, if you can get out of New York City, do it and work in a different ecosystem, it will be the best gift you can give yourself. And the way he said it as, you know, working in a different ecosystem just blew my mind. I was like, wow, like you can really look at it from other ways. That really planted the seed.
0: Fortunately, the universe provided her not only with a one way out, but a new perspective
4: when she sold
0: everything, to live and work in Sweden.
4: I just felt like in Sweden, everyone had this beautiful sense of life balance. It's just like in their DNA there. I actually really had to tone down my New Yorkness. I remember talking to my colleagues and they were like, actually, I need to leave to go pick up my kids. So I can't really do that for you today. And I love that that was honored. So for me, lurking in Sweden was a wonderful experience. I, I was just so curious, like this super progressive country, like what is it, what are they doing, like what are they doing differently and sure they're socialist and we're not but I'm sure there's things that we can learn from them, like they're beautiful feminist men there, right? (laughs) and all the daddies, they they call them uh, papa lattes, because they all take paternity leave and so they all sort of like hang out in the coffee shops and then their little papa lattes, I thought that was the cutest thing ever, but just yeah this this feminism is like so strong there and you know everyone i met at the company i worked at i made wonderful friends i was there six months and then i was asked to move to ohio where the (laughs) u.s headquarters were and i said hell no (laughs) because i had just sold everything i owned and moved to stockholm with two and a half bags only six months before that so instead they gave me a wonderful severance package as they do in sweden because they cannot Let you leave on bad terms, and I just didn't want to to move jobs, so they had to. And I went traveling, and this was my other dream: was to go traveling on my thirtieth birthday alone, do the experience that so many people in Australia and Sweden do, but in America, it's slowly becoming a rite of passage. Yeah, it just felt like wow, a dream of a lifetime. So I went traveling for four months.
0: Although she sadly had to leave Sweden, she took some things with her. She loved the intentional work-life balance that was woven into their society. So as she continued traveling, she started collecting ideas and lifestyles everywhere she went.
4: So we started in Mexico and just fell in love with the culture there. Then I, my friend was a travel journalist and invited me on a 12-day cruise for free. So I said yes, I accompanied her on that one, which was wonderful how that timing worked and then I met someone super inspiring yeah he just was like living the dream life to me he was he was teaching kids about paper airplanes and the school system in Australia and I thought that was so funny like teaching paper airplanes but he was so inspired and that passion really transferred to me and I realized I really wanted to do my yoga teacher training so I booked a flight and a few days later I was in Bali yeah and that was Sort of the next awakening right there was the the month-long intensive in Bali, which was incredible, yeah. So for me, you know, it was really important that I had Eastern instructors. I feel like yoga teacher trainings are really just an introduction as to, like, this is yogic philosophy. This is a way to live life. It was incredible. The most peaceful, happy I've, I've probably ever been in my life was during that training.
0: She started compiling ideas and lifestyles everywhere she went. I asked her what things she was taking note of and wanted to bring home.
4: I personally think it's hard to feel whole as a person if you're a Westerner and you haven't experienced any Eastern traditions and vice versa. So doing the yoga teacher training for me was a real sort of immersive in terms of, um, you know, Eastern, more so yogic and Hindu, Hindu philosophy. So in the west we have this idea of everything is external right like i have to achieve something i have to be a better person so it's you're you're sort of reaching for goals you're working on yourself you're pushing yourself it's this outward you know outwardness whereas eastern it's much more a return and i think psychologically that's such a jedi mind trick that oh like i don't have to i don't have to do this to be that person eventually i want to be it's no i I already am that person let's return home and this is the meditative way of doing things is yeah like that is me that is me at my highest self i am peace i am love i am wisdom and it's not this other person i'm trying to be That's that's me that's all of us so that was the biggest i think you learn that traveling alone i think you learn that doing yoga and studying other sort of of these beautiful mystical teachings are really really fun it can be a spiritual wormhole sometimes but it's 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 fun it's really i think finding a really good teacher i was really lucky to find a good teacher here what's really cool about meditation is in buddhism they say that the mind is the ultimate home and i love that this idea of like you yourself you are home Mm -hmm. it's not any sort of yes of course you should have a You know, sanctuary and make your space warm and cozy. And I do really believe that that sort of groundedness is something we have to practice. We have to cultivate it every day.
0: I believe it's imperative for travelers to bring back what they have found. Sharing stories from your travels will help dismantle prejudice, innovate unique ideas, and ignite creativity. So now that Cassandra has this new arsenal of tools—meditation, yoga, new philosophies. She had to incorporate into her life and keep those treasures close. But she couldn't just keep them to herself. She began building them into a community that she needed back home.
4: I was out of the country about a year, and I remember coming back home. I had this crazy feeling where I just wanted to hug everyone. I was so happy to be back in the U.S., but many people I think as you go you go on your travels you come back and you want to build a community and that's exactly what happened to me I was like I to recreate my experience abroad I have to have a community here and I at the time you know it was sort of before wellness was super trendy four or five years ago um and so I I'm more introverted I, I love meeting people but to go to networking events in New York was really hard it can feel very transactional and And so I was like, fuck it, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to do what I love, which is I was going to these like TED Talk style meetups and we'd have, it was like kind of like a supper club meets urban retreat and we'd throw one together on a Tuesday evening and people would stay till midnight. And I was like, wow, there's something really beautiful here. And on the topic of home, the one point, sticking point, I was, I'm was, i very stubborn about is that it had to be in someone's home. So everyone was donating their lofts somehow in Soho and all these places because they felt that soul need. So we had this beautiful, warm space, and I think that definitely had something to do with it. And we would eat and just hang out and meditate and it went really well and then and then we started doing retreats so we threw together this retreat upstate in like three weeks I collaborated with my friend Alina and a bunch of other teachers and we had like 30 people sign up because everyone wanted to get out of town on July 4th weekend and we just gave it all of our heart So, I should have known it would have gone well, but like people fell in love and best friends were made and roommates came together and it was just like all this magic happened. And it was like, fuck, we didn't even work. This was too easy. Like, how could it be so successful? So, and then corporate wellness was like the last piece that was really important to me because I feel like we're in the belly of the beast doing the meditation Mm. and workshops and stuff like that. So, doing what we did for fun, but bringing it to an office setting has been people, I could tell everyone was just craving I I was just scratching my own itch I sort of rebuilt my home because I, I came back to New York and New York was the same but I was different and I really felt that yeah
0: Cassandra is now serving the people who are in the same position she used to be she translates the lessons she's learned from abroad and brings them to those who don't find these ideas or even the ability to travel as accessible as she does
4: Yeah, you know, our first workshop we did with a company, just go in that there's going to be knowing that people are going to be excited and people are going to be extremely resistant. And for sure, but I think my strength is like, crushing people with love (laughs) so I just like love the shit out of them like when I walk in the room I'm smiling I'm you know I'm shaking their hand like that I just want people to feel taken care of and that's what they're craving they just want someone to hold space in a comfortable way that they're not feeling uncomfortably vulnerable like it was funny that first workshop you know this woman was crossed arms and at the end she was the one asking for private coaching even though (laughs) she was crossed arms the whole time staring at us and then other people are like this changed my life so it's it's that those comments that are like all right I know that they don't have the time probably to do this stuff after work they're probably overworked I think we're helping but it's by no means like the end all solution but it's funny because I don't need their approval because I believe so much in what we're doing I am a former burnt out agency person and we, all my colleagues, everyone, like we're creating the programs we wish we had before we found this stuff on our own and found these tools and books and podcasts. We're healing ourselves and doing this work, and I, we don't really need approval because as long as we're connecting with people, we know that it's, it's working.
0: You yourself are your own home. It takes some of us longer to discover that. And that might have been what Jeremy was searching for and what Georgia is building. Not a physical place, but a feeling of internal ease. I hope that the spaces you decide to settle in, you feel aligned in. It gives you everything you need, like being close to a beach or having 24-7 fast food options. But those who are truly comfortable with themselves can find home wherever they go. Laura Bronner from Eternal Expat holds those same philosophies. Since she graduated college, Laura and her boyfriend have been traveling and living in different spots around the globe. And the longer and farther away she is from her hometown in New York, the less it seems to call her.
1: I I went on a trip when I was in high school. I went on like this kind of two week Europe trip with my high school and we went to Munich and some parts of Switzerland and then to Rome and it was amazing but really like for me having grown up in a situation where I went to an all-girls Catholic school and you know my my parents were relatively strict it was freedom it was amazing oh my goodness like I could be this other person I could dress how I wanted I could that for me that was what travel like made me realize. And I think that's always the, what I've been chasing when I, when I moved abroad, when I studied abroad in college, like this feeling of absolute freedom that I couldn't find in anything else.
0: Laura found a sense of freedom, the freedom to experiment, explore, and find her best self. I think it's a literal high, some type of emotional rush I remember getting a surge of adrenaline when I was 22 as a train pulled into a station in France. I hopped on to go south, and I have this visceral memory of the wind blowing by me and feeling adventurous and free. I had nothing more than a backpack and a ticket, but I was on the move and I was in control. When you get that hit when you're young, it's hard not to chase it for the rest of your life.
1: So I graduated from college and I moved to New Zealand. And really the reason that I moved abroad is because I studied abroad in college and I met a boy and he was from the UK. And so we did the long distance thing after we separated from studying abroad. And, you know, it was, how do we, how do we be together? How can we live together or be in the same country? So it was too hard for me to move to the UK and way too hard for him to move to the US. So yeah, we got working holiday visas in New Zealand and didn't really think beyond like what was going to happen after that. We really like thought we were going to work in New Zealand for six months and be able to travel for six months, which is ludicrous if you've been to New Zealand and spent any money there. (laughs) So we got a working holiday visa in Australia after that. We ended up staying there for two years and then kind of realized that we didn't want to move back and we didn't want to kind of join the nine to five. And we were kind of addicted to this, constant movement and and moving to a new city and starting again, it was like really invigorating for 24 year olds. Like, so we went back home and kind of like retrained a little bit and moved to South Korea to teach English, which was the best and worst year of my life. It was so incredibly difficult. It was so, it put me so out of my comfort zone in a way that I have never been out of my comfort zone before. I learned Korean sort of, and worked in an environment that was very hierarchical, very male-dominated. And it made me realize that that is absolutely not where I want to be in a lot of ways. I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be kind of moving around based upon where I can get a job teaching English. And while it totally works for some people, it's not for me. We went traveling for eight months around Southeast Asia and Japan and and it was incredible. And you, you know, when you travel long-term, you have so much time to talk and think and process and figure out the ideals of, you know, what you want your life to look like. And so we went back home to visit family and friends, but we knew that it wasn't going to be to live again. And that's a tough conversation to have when you've been away for six years at that point. It's interesting how
0: even though the world has challenged Laura, it's tired her out, pushed her to her limits. She knew in her heart of hearts that New York wasn't where she wanted to be. And she did what it took to avoid the nine to five at all costs.
1: We basically like hunkered down and I started m- my blog again, sort of, a, a, you know, really with a, the intention of turning it into a business. And I did tons of research, you know, from the moment I woke up until when we went to bed, I was writing and networking and Googling things. (laughs) And when my boyfriend got a job in Mexico, it was kind of like, wow, with, you know, with this opportunity, I can really spend all my time on my blog. And I was super lucky to have someone who could financially help in this situation. And while we'd saved up a ton of money teaching English you know, it wouldn't have supported us for a year in Mexico. So yeah, it was definitely a, a, a very lucky situation, but it meant that I could spend all of my time building my blog into a business. And in just under a year, I was able to, yeah, fully support myself, which is where I am now.
0: Many of us feel that home is where our families are, but some of us find that those two things are incompatible, where we feel most ourselves might not be where our parents have planted themselves. And that might be why so many of us return or choose to never leave at all. Laura thought that if her and her partner kept traveling, her family would eventually take the hint. But she had to muster up the courage and tell them her needs directly.
1: Initially, they were super supportive because they thought that it was like, a year away and then I'll be back and, you know, I'll... Settle down and buy a house and get a job, you know. And I and as that kind of carried on into this other sort of life, like moving to Australia. And still, I think my parents thought they'll they'll come back, they'll settle down. And then Korea and travel. And then really, you know, we traveled full time for over six months. And and then I really think my parents thought that's this is it. They're gonna they're coming back. And. It I think it really took until I moved to Mexico and, and I was mature enough to have the conversation that I avoided for six years to say, I'm probably not coming back. And if I do, it's not in any capacity that like you want it to be. It's not going to be the perfect suburban life in New York. like And that's still a conversation that I'm having with them. And it's still something that they're coming to terms with. And yeah, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have. My My parents and my, you know, my family were were close, like we, we got along well, but also like for my mom, especially like it's, it means a lot to have everyone around. And, And as I get older, I think they realize even more that they want everyone around as we all move further away. So it's still, it's a work in progress. I think that I was really lucky that I did it when I was young and selfish. Um, You know, at 22, when I left, I didn't think, I'm going to miss my parents and they're going to miss me. Like, to be totally honest, like, I didn't care. I I was totally focused on me. And as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know, that it's important to balance those things. And I go home a lot more than I ever did. And that helps being in Mexico. It's a lot closer to the US than Australia, New Zealand (laughs) it's about finding a balance. Like it's your life. And at the end of the day, like, although my parents want me to be there, they're very supportive and you know, they want me to be happy too. And they come to visit or, or they see, you know, social media and everything else and how happy I am out here. And you know, that makes them happy too. And you like, I I just don't think that you could live your life like waiting or wondering or, or thinking like you're going to live it for somebody else.
0: What's the, what's the point? I think that some of us travel because we're searching for a place to call us, tell us that we have arrived. So I asked her, after calling so many places home, where is it?
1: It's difficult because, I mean, my parents don't live in the same place that I grew up in. You know, my brothers are spread out. When we get together, it's like for big things. So it's always like a happy celebration, but it always feels temporary. Like, I don't feel like, oh, gosh, I'm home. I'm so like you know, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like relaxing at home, you know? I, it's great, and I love spending time with them, but I don't want to, like, stay. Like, I don't feel like this pull to to be there. <laughs> Is that bad? I don't, you know, it's just... I, like, I love going home, and I, I go home more and more. I'm, like, when I leave, I feel like I'm going home. When I come back to Mexico City and I come into my apartment, like, I'm home. And I think I wanted it to be this place, like... Where I, you know, you instantly feel like you arrive in this place and like, oh, this is it. Like, I was always so jealous of people. I've met so many people here in Mexico and when I was in Korea too, like, who weren't from there and they, they moved there. And for them, they felt like this instant connection with a place. And I was, I I think I've always been searching for that, but I don't know that that exists for me. Like, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But like, after two years here in Mexico and after being away all summer, this the, the past two months I was traveling around and I couldn't wait to get back to Mexico city. And I don't know if that's just because I have a really comfortable bed here and most of my stuff is here and living out of a suitcase is exhausting. Um, and it's probably a combination of all those things. But I like for the first time, probably in eight years, like I feel so excited to come back like to a place where I'm living and, and I don't necessarily feel the sort of itch to move on yet maybe i'm just more comfortable with myself i think that's it too like when you find like within yourself that you're confident in your your day-to-day life and you're you're doing things that you enjoy and you know i have finally have a job that i love and and people around me that are are fun and and in a place that's warm in you know the end of october like it's um it's hard not to feel like you're at home you know and i don't even think that necessarily think that like it has anything to do with mexico city like it's a great city and and i love it and i but i think that if i were in you know berlin or sydney or you know somewhere equally like happening as a city and i was doing what i'm doing now and i was surrounded by people similar to the people that i'm surrounded by now i think i could feel just as at home so i don't for me like it's nothing to do with a place it's really to do with how happy you are being still you know
0: I pop another robin's egg into my mouth, letting the sweet, malty flavors of my childhood spread over my tongue as I look around my room. Graffiti and art is still painted on all four walls from when I was 13. The same stack of books that I've never touched has only accumulated more dust. My pillows still have the same crease from when I last slept on it. I splayed across my bed, a frame that I am so familiar with. And after hopping from country to country for months, I started counting the hundreds of surfaces that I've slept on, from plush 10-inch mattresses to hammocks, tents to bunk bed lofts, hour-long flights and 16-hour bus rides, alone or curled up next to a long-lost friend. And I have found comfort in almost all of them, No matter how foreign my surroundings have been to me, I could get comfortable with whatever sleeping materials I was given. I became as resourceful as a bird is at nesting, burrowing into different scarves, blankets, sweaters, pillows, and sheets every night. The hours I spent in solitude, exploring a new city, or talking to strangers all night, shined a light on the parts of me that the sun from my home never hit. Those parts of me needed to be illuminated in order for me to fully bloom. I learned how to listen, be more patient, and feel what others were feeling. But it also revealed the parts of me that are written into my constitution. My need to learn, tell stories, and make people laugh. I think Laura was onto something because I'm more comfortable with myself now. Whenever I live abroad, from Prague to Mexico City, I'm perfectly happy musing through the streets on my own. I dip into hidden bookstores, spend hours writing in coffee shops, and go to events alone. I've spent so much time away from a physical home that I've discovered how to carry it with me wherever I go. I don't think we would have grown as a species if we didn't occasionally leave our physical homes. When we expand our horizons and return to our roots, we have our stories expose listeners to sights that they may never see otherwise. We can dismantle discrimination and offer a glimpse of the beauty that the world holds. I start unpacking my bags and taking out the little trinkets I've collected, a mini blue elephant from Thailand, an alpaca scarf from Peru, tea from London. I place them around my room, reshuffling older objects and making space for new ones. And I stared at all of them. <laughs> I love how my taste is evolving. I sit back down on my bed and lay into it. It doesn't take long for memories of my trip to start playing through my mind like a YouTube's best of compilation. Memories that have more value to me than any of the physical souvenirs I came home with. And my room feels different now, not because of these decorative additions to my shelves, but what's changed is is how I feel. Less anxious, less uncertain, less confused in this space than when I left. Home isn't a physical space. It's not what's under four walls and a roof, but what rests beneath the arch of your skull. The places we grow up and travel to are ephemeral, but we spend our entire lives in our heads. And if we're going to spend so much time there, let's make sure it's a nice space to be in. And as for my physical home... (laughs) Well, it doesn't really matter. It's wherever I lay my backpack down. Because I know now that the world is my home.